I do have the seasonal allergies that are much like my partner on the podcast, and they're just a constant annoyance in my life. Back to my intro. <laughs> Thank you for being here today with us on Fortitude. Greetings to our beloved listeners. I am J.W. Wilson, and this walking pollen trap to my right is one Britain Payne. I do have the seasonal allergies that are much like my partner on the podcast, and they're just a constant annoyance in my life. Back to my intro. <laughs> Thank you for being here today with us on Fortitude. You can continue to say and do, this is speaking to our listeners, they continue to do and say things that are make us, they make us feel welcome, and then as if we're doing something positive in this world. So... We want to thank you guys, and if you want to um, you keep commenting, especially on my partner's wardrobe, keep it up. That's the only what way. What are we, they commenting on? Well, for instance, one lady uh, was wondering if you could loosen maybe a few buttons a time or two ago. Oh, one, really? One lady said less vests. Less um, vests? Pullovers. Oh. This was during the summertime because you were wearing some vests during the summertime, I think. Well, it's nice because we record now in the week and JW turns the air conditioner on here at his building during the weekdays. Call, call, us, cra- the call us crazy, yes. <laughs> but anyway, if you have any more fashion advice for myself or Brenton, please hit us up on our little ha- our little uh, site called uh, fortitudefwpodcast.com, Brenton. Excuse me. FWpodcast at gmail.com is our website. I really got that one get smoothly. So can, somebody can email those at wardrobe suggestions. YouTube, yes. <laughs> YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Facebook, Insta, and Twitter, Fortitude FW. Please hit us up. We would love to hear more uh, inf- information about us that's maybe positive or not so positive. Um, but we aren't here to talk about wardrobe, Brenton. We, in fact, are in the presence of a very interesting and accomplished woman. Uh, she oversees the Tarrant County criminal justice system and was kind enough to spend some time with us here today. She's the Tarrant County district attorney. Her name is Sharon Wilson. Thank you, Sharon, for being with us here today. We appreciate it. I think it's my pleasure. Thank you for sharing <laughs> your time with us. You have an interview to make, make up your mind. So, <laughs> so Sharon, um, Brenton, she, this is her office, I think. Is that correct? Which floor is your now, top that, floor? That would be the jail. Right, right. <laughs> is, are you in this executive wing? Right. Up yeah, here? I know. Yeah. Pit, penthouse. <laughs> Very close, though. Yeah. Um, you are from Amarillo, Texas, uh, originally, and you attended Texas Tech and yes. thus law, Texas Tech Law School. Uh, you made your way into the criminal justice world, and here in Tarrant County, you became our uh, criminal prosecutor for criminal courts number one, correct? I was the judge of criminal district court number one. Gen- number but when one. I first got here, I was a prosecutor in Tim Curry's office. I got hired Good. on as a line lawyer. Okay. And we'll delve into that here shortly, but... Um, then you became in 2014 the 14th district attorney in Tarrant County history and the very first woman to do that. Very cool. Yes, thanks. So, was Tim, what was it that brought you here? Tim Curry? Was it you did I got a re- job? Is that what it was? I mean, you out know, of school? so yeah, you graduate from law school and with everybody else that gets out, you start looking for a job and they hired me. So, oh, that's great. I came here. <laughs> what, what was it about here that? Attracted you. I got a job. That's it. <laughs> Wasn't the okay, you have to go so, a certain I mean, amount of counties away from no. you know mm-hmm. Lubbock County or so. You know, I mean, I'd always Fort Worth is a neat place to be, and I'd always known about Fort Worth because um, my grandparents, who lived in Claude, Texas, outside Amarillo, our farm was in Claude, always took the Fort Worth Sunday Star Telegram. So I'd known about Fort Worth my whole life because they always read the Sunday paper and talked about it. So. Oh, yeah. Very good. Any memorable stories from there no, that stick out? I just out? remember the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Yeah, yeah. As a judge in criminal courts number one, you were re- once referred to as the toughest judge in Tarrant County. Is that, do you remember those days? Yes. What made you such a tough judge? Well, you know, I paid a whole lot of money to a campaign consultant to do that slogan. <laughs> so. I'm, did it did it work? It's a tough Republican. Was it accurate? It was, a tough, it was very accurate. It wasn't a lie. So that, you know. Okay, so what makes a person a tough judge? So a judge is supposed to just follow the law, right? That's easy enough. Follow the law. Sustained, overruled, next case. You're not supposed to have an opinion about the facts of the case. You are supposed to follow the law. Prosecutors and defense attorneys get to have opinions. They get to litigate and advocate, but judges just make rulings. That's how it ought to be, Right. So, um, 
But in our system of justice, we let the defendant choose who he wants to set punishment if he's found guilty. So if the defendant's found guilty, he can either pick before trial that he wants a jury to set his punishment or a judge to set his punishment. And nobody picked me. Ever. Eh, twice in 23 years. <laughs> and what happened to them? They're still locked away? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That would you give know, you a, a good moniker for the toughest. But, but let me say, I had quite a few people would pick me on guilt innocence because, you know, you give all ties for a judge, criminal judge, all ties go to the defense. He, he starts off not guilty. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if it's just close, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. So how... How do you keep unbiased? I mean, come on, we're in like opinion city, right? It's like opinions on steroids in this life that we it's live true. now. So is it that you shut all media down as soon as you like it it so wasn't I, as much, I guess, then, but how how do you keep Oh, it was pretty significant. Yeah. So I think, you know, judges can always so a person can be a juror if they've read the paper. You know, you don't have to come in being a blank slate. Right. You can read things, but you've got to be able to say, I'm going to base my decision on what I hear in court, period, and what I hear in court, because there's rules of evidence, there's objections, and all that is to get to an accurate rendition of the facts, either for the jury to decide or for the judge to decide, right? So um, that's why I think it's so important judges, you know, if an effective judge is a lonely judge, judges yeah. shouldn't be hanging out with lawyers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I tried not to. Um, because what are you going to talk about? You know, the mm-hmm. big thing you've got in common is what's going on at the courthouse. So right. judges, uh, for the most part, have their friends and family and other judges. And We have an office, uh, your office yeah, picture <laughs> from when you were back office. in the day. Is that where you take your naps after? Isn't like, that just gross? Hanging out with lawyers at yeah. night. And you wonder why we had COVID in the jail. Right. Oh, my gosh. It's not somewhere I'd ever want to be. I guess people who are there don't feel, I probably feel the same, right? Well, that's probably yeah. why you choose jury when yes. you go in front yeah. of you, right? Well, and, and you know, the jail's not a nice place. It's not supposed to be, right? It's supposed to keep bad people away from the rest of us. Right. Um, either because they've been found guilty or because they are waiting a trial, so... It's not supposed to look like the Hilton. Yeah. There's a more suitable picture right there. <laughs> um, Sharon, tr- tell the truth. As a judge, did you ever fall asleep at the at the uh, desk? No. Never? No. Were you ever tempted to? You had to kind of pinch yourself maybe? No, probably not in a criminal. I could see in yeah. some other case, you know, courts of law, but I wouldn't think in that one. You know, No. But here's the thing. Is it boring sometimes because you've mm-hmm. heard it a million times, you know, you've heard board. So the most boring thing is board dire examination, right? Because the state takes two hours and talks to the jury and they don't make objections in each. So the judge is just sitting there listening because there's nothing to, you know, you don't mm-hmm. have a speaking part. Right. Yeah. right. And then the defense does the same thing. And it's usually in the afternoon and by like six o'clock, you're, you know tired of it it's a bordire is the that's why they never show it on tv right because it's boring yeah but now you don't fall asleep right because you gotta make rulings is the ruling like let's say the the, the last ruling guilty or innocent when you're i guess you, sometimes it comes from the juror sometimes it comes from you but is that is that a very exciting part of the job is it do you sentencing a person to death is exciting is it when they deserve it obviously yes You've done that 13 times. Well, we would 13, hope that it wouldn't be. <laughs> 13 times, right? 13 well, sometimes distance. I was the lawyer, okay. prosecutor, defense attorney, judge. But that is, that is um, you know, that's different. Finding somebody guilty is mm-hmm. not really exciting. Um, you know, typically when you find somebody guilty on a regular case, it's because they've done something horrible to somebody. Right. So there's just some justice in that. And you've witnessed a lethal injection, correct? Yes. Could you describe for us what that, I mean, aside from the obvious, not laughing at that matter, but what's that, what's that feel like? So it was a, um, it was a, it was a case that I had prosecuted. I was the prosecutor on death penalty case and I had gotten very close with the family of the victim and, um, and it didn't get set for execution until like 12, 13 years later. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's how long it takes to go all the way through the state yeah. appellate system and then the federal system, right? So mm-hmm. it was affirmed on every level. 
And um, and then when it came time for execution, I got a call from the family and they said, um, basically, you said you'd stay with us through the whole thing. Are you coming with us? And so I was like, you know, yes. Um, uh-huh. And so I, I went with the family to the to the execution. Interesting. Did you leave there um, needing a drink or needing a just to go cry or was it, is it as powerful as the movies make it out to be? Or is it just like, it's very final. Very final. And, and, and let me tell you, it was also very humane compared to what he did to this woman. Sure. Very humane. Fair enough. Um, and, and the, the sad part about this particular case was um, by the time he was executed for killing this young woman, um, her mother had already died of cancer. So her mom died without ever finding justice. Oh, wow. So um, I went with the, the, former, the former husband, the widow, mm-hmm. um, her brothers, and we called the dad on the way back, on the way driving back. Does, do you see the justice thing? That more and more as the world kind of continues to evolve in certain ways, you know, or at least it's being reported that it is that that uh, things like that continue to happen where justice is not served. What's your kind of take on that? Do you I mean, what is justice is. is, Yeah. And is the work never done? Right. I mean, is it are you are you winning the battle now or you or is it just like, gosh, there's just so much to keep up with and with all of this. I mean, I know you're not a judge now, but. You know, you're kind of at, at your spot there. I mean, are you overwhelmed or you or you have things out in front of you that are like, we're making good headway here. We continue to do this, uh, you know, that type of thing. Sorry, that's a meander question. No, I, I get where you're going. So um, crime has changed. Um, and I don't know that I realized the extent to which crime has changed because I was a judge for 23 years, but I had one of the 10 criminal district courts. So I only ever saw 10% of the felonies. I never saw misdemeanors. I saw 10% of the felonies, the ones that were computer assigned to my court. Um, and then when I became district attorney and started looking at the broader picture of what crimes were actually being committed, I was surprised to find that we were number two in the state on intimate partner violence, women killed by their spouses, number two in the state, not per capita, number two. And Houston was number one. Wow. Yeah, we were second to Harris County. And at that time, we were the fourth county. It was Harris, Dallas, Bear, and then us. So, you know. Population-wise. Population-wise. So, um, that was huge. We went to the commissioner's court in twenty. 15. In 2015, we went to the commissioner's court. Maybe it was the beginning of 2016. It was for the budget in 2016. In 2015, 16 people in Tarrant County had been killed by their spouses, almost all women, purely a you know female crime, really. One man had died that year, but he was a secondary victim. They were shooting at the wife and, and killed him, too. Oh, wow. uh, the Second year, 2016, it was um, the same number. It was 16 people again. And we had secondary victims, small children, you know. Um, was, was there a reason, like a leading reason? Can you get into that? Like, can you find that in the data? Or like, what is it? What you know, that it's made very it? interesting. Um, here's the thing about intimate partner violence. Um, it's very controlled, right? So if a man wants to beat his wife, he can be thinking about it all day long. And he doesn't do anything. Nobody, he doesn't beat up his secretary. He doesn't beat up anybody else at work. He probably doesn't even react. And he stores it all up and then does it at home. That means it's controllable, right? And there's actually some excellent studies out there about how you control that kind of violence. We worked on some of that. We went to commissioner's court and asked him for a team and just took pictures of the deceased. Lifetime pictures, but... You know, it's horrifying when you see all those people that have been killed by their spouses. So we started working on that. The next year, it dropped to eight people. That's still too many. The year after that, eight Mm -hmm. people. But we were, you know, elated. And then 2020 happened. And we actually lost, depends on the count right now, but it's like 19 people last year. Oh, my gosh. Because they couldn't get out of the house. You couldn't get out of the house. And there was no controlling it, right? Yeah, no work to go to to 
be somebody else at or something like yeah. that. And now we're down to about, I think this year to date, I think we've had eight homicides, seven or eight. That is so much better than last year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but it's still too much. And so we've really been working with police. You know, our first thing is always what is the interaction between law enforcement and the civilians? Because when you call 911, you don't get my office, right? Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You get police officers that are going to show up and do things. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that we worked with the police is how do we, how do they deal with these circumstances? And one of the things we found out is that if the abuser realizes that the cops are watching, watching and are going to be watching, um, then they can control their behavior. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. Chief Noakes told us uh, just in kind of in a roundabout way, he wasn't being um, wasn't being definitive, but the pandemic has it's, it's changed changed crime for a while with domestic violence, uh, alcoholism was was divorces spiked up. This isn't all stuff you deal with, but um, I think the domestic abuse aspect, which you just alluded to, was significantly affected by the pandemic because we're all at home all day together. And maybe some of us aren't <laughs> built that way. I don't yeah. know. There's no reason, there's no excuse for it, obviously, but that was a big deal because of the pandemic. But And it significantly went up, which in 2020, crime across the board, and I just deal with Tarrant County, right? Mm -hmm. Not any particular, but across the board in Tarrant County, crime went down. Our case filings went down in Tarrant County in 2020. Family violence went up. Mm -hmm. So would you tell us, Sharon, what a day in the life of the district attorney looks like, generally speaking, so someone can understand how your how your your world works? You wake up on the cot right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think that when I when I when I thought I wanted to be when I wanted to be district attorney, I thought I'm gonna get to try cases again because I love trying cases when I was an assistant district attorney. Um, and boy, that doesn't happen because there's too much going on, right? So we have a law office of uh, 344 people, um, close to 200 attorneys, 100 staff people, 50 investigators. And so the life of the district attorney is really a management job. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for me, it is a day in the life. You know, I get to work. Um, this morning we had a meeting in our office with police officers from around the county because the new mental health jail diversion center is going to be opening at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And so our office is providing the training to the police officers for what mental health, what, who's going to be appropriate for the diversion center, not going to jail. So we, that was the beginning. We had a couple of meetings. We had the Tarrant County law enforcement memorial this morning, which is a great thing that Tarrant County um, got actually built and dedicated in May. We added three more officers' names to that today um, because uh, they had died in the last year, mostly because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, meetings about process. What A lot of what we've tried to do, what I've tried to do is look at the data. You know, where, what do we need to be addressing and, and um, how do we do that? But so and, on, then, and then here I am today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> doing so, a podcast. Um, for their first podcast, correct? My first podcast ever. So far, do you hate it or do you love it? <laughs> you know, y'all said put these earphones on. They, yeah, mm -hmm. they are kind of cool. I know. Well, it makes it sound like, yeah. like when you're Sounds doing like it. Sounds like you're in an airplane. So we're, we're in an office building. Sorry, but we're in an office building and people will be talking in, over there doing office type work. And sometimes it's distracting if you don't have the earphones on. So we appreciate you giving them. We know yeah, that I mean, by, by cool. our set design, you would never know that we're in an office building. <laughs> but um, so we do have a proposition coming up on the ballot. So you think yes. about a growing, really quickly growing population in Tarrant County and you've got okay, infrastructure like roads, sewer, like mm -hmm. things that people need to live, that kind of thing. But on the other side of that, we've got another building that we're getting built with that Proposition B. Can you talk about that sure. um, and what that fulfills? And to me, that's kind of a, a good thing and a bad thing. It's like, is it because crime's going to go up with more people coming in? I mean, you know. Okay. So, um, yes, crime's going up with more people coming in. It's, is that Population increase means that crime increases, except maybe Florida in the winter, right? <laughs> Why they're too old yeah. and retired? You're, you know, yeah. you age out of criminality. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if all these people are coming here, there's going to be there's going to be an increase in crime, huge increase in population, right? And at the Hobby Center um, was estimating that by 2040 we'll be almost at three million. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
not only do we have an increase in population, we have to have, we, in our office, we have asked for and received special teams to address specific crimes. Because when you look at the data, there are, there is an increase in various kinds of crimes. Like we talked about intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that we knew that we needed as soon as I got here was elder financial fraud because the population is getting older and they're targets, right? We, let me say that we are targets. Um, and that's a wonderful team that works on that. And then, you know, we've always had gang. We've always had child sexual assault. We have an adult sexual assault team. It's our newest group that really deals with um, dating violence. Um, and they do an amazing work. In fact, they just finished that trial of the woman who was kidnapped and murdered in 74. Do you remember that? And the defendant, McCurley, what was he, 80 something years old? Oh, yeah. Um, and so they just tried that case, um, a cold case, but they've yeah. done a great work on looking at all these adult sexual assault cases, the rapes in Tarrant County to look mm-hmm. at patterns. It's been very interesting. Um, and so. <laughs> Does it become kind of a competition between counties and DA's offices who has the best data around that and the way that it's oh, collected? That's interesting. I have no idea what other offices data is. You just guys go with what you got. Yeah. You know, we look a lot at what ours is mm-hmm. and trends. You know, what is it now? What has it been? Yep. Because I don't think every county is the same. And, you know, Texas is huge. Yeah. And it's just huge. And so even, you know, the big the big counties may um, look at certain things um, themselves, but, but no, we don't really. We do probably comparison. can find this, but let me ask this just in a quick summary pie chart, because you just listed off a bunch of stuff. Domestic abuse, like what takes up the biggest chunk of that pie as far as the crime goes? Oh, the number one offense committed in Tarrant County? Yeah. So countywide, possession of marijuana, zero to two. What's zero to two? Years? Ounces. Oh, ounces. Okay. Do you think that's kind of silly or do you, that's laws seem to be changing. Not oh, yet. is it? Well, I mean, across oh. the country, they are. I'm just Maybe telling you what Judge I, Wilson's I, court, I, I, re, I read well, sometimes. I don't care about the rest of the country. I just care about Texas, Fair right? Enough. Fair enough. But and think, Tarrant County, right? Because we are not in Colorado. Right. But things are changing. You can at least admit that, yes. They have changed to the east of us. You know, yes, the legislature was discussing the, the potential for this new revenue source if it were to become legalized. I'm not saying I know can speak more of that, but there, is, there are people that are discussing this. So yeah. that would uh, take a little bit of a burden off your our hands, potentially. Is it a uh, I don't know. You have to spend time prosecuting these guys, and um, maybe that's a burden. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's part of the, the good part of the job. So, I don't know. So here's the great thing about my job. I don't make the laws. All right. I have to do is read them. Uh, fair right? enough. I took an oath to follow the law. So if the legislature says that possession of marijuana is zero to two is a crime, then it's a crime. All right. That's not my call. It is I my call. You, <laughs> no interpretation. See, no bias. Just like when she was a it's judge. She's going with that. Yeah. So- it is my ability as the prosecutor to decide what offer we should make, mm-hmm. right? I don't think that the taxpayers in Tarrant County, and I certainly am not interested in filling our jail up with a bunch of possession of marijuana zero to two. And so mm-hmm. in our office, on every possession of marijuana zero to two, we tell the defense attorney and the client, if they want to look online, um, if they'll go get three consecutive clean UAs, three months of sobriety, we'll just dismiss. because. Because sobriety, in my opinion, is kind of the beginning of rehabilitation. It's like, can I get on with my life without marijuana? Mm-hmm. And and it seems to be a good effect. We don't have, you know, the number of people that are possession of marijuana. It's not a huge repeat group, right? So yeah, surely. What's and the, I don't need what's them in the jail. limit on the intent to distribute? Because now I'm gonna now, now I'm figuring out a way where I could get one could get caught with like the minimal amount and then like no I'm kidding I'm being a, so I'm when being, you get to be kind of smart out yeah when here. you get to felony amount you know yeah. then we've got bigger problems okay so that's one piece that's the biggest piece of the pie chart yep what's the next biggest um so the number two offense in Tarrant County by in the whole county is possession controlled substance that's felony level that's like the hard drugs yeah and the number three offense is um, family violence, that is not acceptable. Absolutely. How many times does one of those other two categories intervene with that third? Oh, that's interesting. Probably not. As much as you'd How think. many times is the person who beats their spouse also drunk or on drugs? Is yeah. that what you're asking? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, It's got to be in there somewhere, right? Yeah. 
But we well, don't but really not, know but, that but, because but, because remember, beating your spouse is a very controlled act. Yeah. I mean, it goes against what you think. It goes against what you see in movies. You know, people are drinking or using drugs and be, you know. It's no, very, you make it all day, right? Without it kind of thing, right? Is what you've kind well, of said Because they're mad before. when something, you know, she mm-hmm. did something wrong that morning. Mm-hmm. They're mad all day. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's a controlled act. This person who's doing this this horrible thing knows that it's bad. They're keeping it at bay until and the alcohol or the drugs home. are loosening them up. They're like, oh, okay. Not, yeah, not, it can be. Sure. One thing you mentioned, Sharon, uh, a fraud. you mentioned elderly fraud. One of the things I, I love reading about you, but what kind of things are people doing fraudulent wise to the elderly that you're seeing? It's Before, a, can we get a word from our sponsor that's just on a timeshare for people 65 and older? Uh, just one second. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so the, the person who's the best on elder financial fraud is Lori Varnell. She's the head of our team. She's amazing. And, and, you know, one of the, so there's all kinds, right? Some of it is the computer kinds of Email, crimes, fishing right? And all that. Because even even somebody who pays a lot of attention and says, "Oh, I'm not going to fall for this," can fall for it. Some of them are just good, right? Or they're just, you know. There's a lot of people in Uganda who need that money. Yeah. Today. <laughs> Don't let them sidetrack you, Sharon. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going there. This is a, t- a tough job sitting at this desk. I understand. <laughs> Um, and, and some of them, like one of the, one of the cases that Lori and her team tried, I think it was two years ago was, was a sweetheart swindler, right? So this woman who was probably a gypsy, um, would meet people online or run into them in the grocery store during the day. And she would just talk to them and get to be their best friend. And this particular woman stole, you know, millions of dollars from eight different victims and the jury in Tarrant County, very, I mean, very nice looking. Everybody, the families of these victims who lost all their money um, said she was so nice and she talked about Jesus and, you know, they trusted her. And um, she stole all this money. The jury gave her 85 years in the penitentiary. Ooh, 85. Wow. Thank you, Lori. Do you think she learned her lesson? This Well, she's got time to think about right. it. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. So what about uh, gambling? This comes up, these card, like, uh, do we have a whole nother show on this? Should we yeah, just we got another take a show break? But, you know, that's Our another thing. video crew just took off, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, go ahead and hide the craps table that's uh, on the pool <laughs> yeah. table. No, but i just cu- curious because it comes in all different forms. You got the electronic stuff and it's, it. so where, again, it's a law and where are you on some of that? Is that, is that too hard of a question? It's a law. It's not, you know, it's not a hard question. Not for interpretation, yeah. Britain. It's a law. <laughs> right back at me. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of things you've done, Sharon. I'll, I'll give you a little. A little if, you, if the camera couldn't me... catch her eyes just looking at me like that, it's unbelievable. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay. A couple of things you've done, <laughs> noteworthy things we can discuss here. You uh, established the Citizen Ad- Advisory Committee. You have started the DA's annual report. I'm going to ask you about just if you. Well, oh, I should have brought you one. Let's start with the Citizen Advisory Committee in in a, in a brief summation. What what's going on there? You know what we did was get people from throughout the county to sit down at the table and talk about you know what do you want from the DA's office. And it was really so we haven't had a meeting th- since 2020, right? COVID, nobody wants to meet. Yeah. Um, but when we early on when we started, we had people from uh, various organizations and various parts of town, the, you know, south side of Fort Worth, Colleyville, South Lake. And it was really interesting, the first couple of meetings, because they were like, you know, the people from the south side or, or minority groups were saying, oh, those people in Colleyville and South Lake, they don't have any crime. Oh, yes, they do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things like with intimate partner violence, you find out, you look at that list, that those photographs, it's the whole dang county and it's every single race. And it's every single, I mean, you can look at the pictures. Economic Obviously, level. these people are very, very wealthy and these people are not. I mean, you know, just you can tell mm-hmm. by their clothes, yeah. right? So yeah. um, it is, there is a, there are a lot of commonalities and it's hard for people to recognize that. Right. And, you know, we try to focus over and over again that we are countywide, right? So. Is say mo money, mo problems, mo money, mo crime, I think. Maybe better. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
Well, anyway, okay, you started the DA's annual report. Yes, first one in Texas, and we do it every single year. I wish I'd brought you one because the one for 2020 has got the um, the lady justice on the front, and she's got a blue glove and a mask. Oh, yeah. It's pretty funny. Does it yeah. involve numbers, though? In, so oh, yeah, it's got all kinds see, of I'm, data. I'm glad you forgot that today. That makes our job easier. <laughs> you founded Tarrant County's first conviction integrity unit. Yes, we were the 17th one in the nation when we started because the whole idea is – I'm absolutely fine with locking bad people up for crimes that they've committed. I'm not okay if we have the wrong person or if they've been sentenced excessively. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. And so that's what that conviction integrity group does is really look at all of our cases. And one of the great things about Tarrant County, Tim Curry, who was the DA forever, mm-hmm. right? He um, had a policy that, It was called the open file policy. And if you worked for him as a prosecutor, you were required to give everything in your case file to the defense attorney because he didn't want anybody trying to ambush someone. Mm -hmm. Right. That was that was in the 70s. That was so far ahead of the time, which was 2014 when they passed a law and said that had to be the standard in the state of Texas. We've been doing it since the 70s. That's why you really don't have a lot of exonerations in Tarrant mm-hmm. County, we've had one, and it dealt with jailhouse informants. You can tell me when I'm getting to. You know. oh, so the interesting thing about jailhouse informants is, you know, we have informants on the street, confidential yeah. informants. It's a good thing. It helps solve crime. That's where I met JW in the jailhouse informant program. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm not <laughs> undercover anymore. <laughs> Sorry. So in, in jail, you know, somebody may be, you know, officing next to you, maybe in the in the cubby mm-hmm. next door yeah and and um and they send out a letter saying um so and so told me all about their crime and i want to testify against them jailhouse informants um the problem was this one case that we had the the defendant um was convicted based on the jailhouse there wasn't a lot of te- as evidence there wasn't you know damning dna evidence there just wasn't a lot of evidence mm-hmm. um what kind of crime was uh, it murder <sighs> It was a murder. It was in Bedford. He was an African-American man. She was a white female. They were friends. And um, and there was, but the police at the time had done the investigation. Okay, who who kills most women? Spouses and loved ones, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the. Wait, I, mean, I didn't know the answer. How did you know that so easily? Because we've been did, talking about it. Who's uh, been listening? Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> my what headphones. Touche. All my listening will is now turn, written out on the paper. Will you turn my headset up, please? <laughs> All right. Continue. Sorry. So um, it was very interesting because this guy that had testified against him in his trial and said, oh, he told me he did all this stuff, was like a regular informant in Tarrant County. And yeah. he'd been doing it. He did it. Every time he got in jail, he would squeal on somebody to get his case dismissed. Mm-hmm. He'd been a confidential informant like four times. Here's the problem. The defense attorney didn't know it. The trial attorneys for the state didn't know it because you can't know what goes on in somebody else's case. It's too big a county. There's Mm -hmm. too many trials. If you're a prosecutor and you're in your court doing your work, you're not watching the eight or nine other courts, right? Oh. And so we didn't have a process. Our office, nobody in Texas had a process for watching out for jailhouse informants. So this guy had gotten away with it. And he'd been in jail and, and, you know, we expressed all that and he got exonerated and removed from jail from the penitentiary. That was great. The biggest thing to come out of that, though, while it was huge for him, was that we were able to start a policy in our office that dealt with jailhouse informants. So you can't do that. You can't um, use somebody multiple times without anybody knowing it. Sure. And and actually, that also became the basis of legislation the next time. The Did legislature, Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... That's actually quite interesting. I can't believe they don't have a movie or something on that, on that very thing of the jailhouse informant like that, because you would think that not only would people inside of there do that, does that happen when the defense then um, makes, or the, I guess the prosecution, do you find that they, in the criminal courts, they find one thing and really grab onto and they're putting all their weight in it. And then as a judge or, as uh, you know, another attorney going up against them, you you're like this thing. This isn't what you should have put all your weight in. Like, is there a certain part of that in each case where somebody's like, this is going to be not so just the closing argument? So but- interestingly, this case was not prosecutorial misconduct, and it wasn't defense misconduct. 
right? It mm-hmm. was literally um, evidence that the prosecutor had no way of knowing because it happened in other courts and other cases. And when the prosecutor looked at that case, he had reason to believe that this person was guilty. There was evidence. Um, and and so this other piece of an informant saying, well, he told me these facts about the case, which were true. You'd have mm-hmm. to know it. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, I don't um, I don't know that it was tunnel vision. You know, yeah. we're just putting focus on that. But it certainly showed us that um, that we have pieces of evidence that we've got to be especially careful of. And jailhouse informants is one of them. Very Did nice. that come out of that conviction conviction integrity unit? Yes. That's great. That is great because every every time that happens, it's obviously not all the time, but those are magnificent it's stories. Huge. Yeah, and the person. I mean, we all seen movies and stories to that effect. So that's a great job you did on that. Citizen Prosecutor Academy. Oh, everybody needs to take that. I think I would be good at that. Mm-hmm. It's you know, well, you don't get to go be a prosecutor. We're kind of oh, getting, yeah. a, we're getting a lesson <laughs> you get, now. You could, Use people you could, of being guilty you before presumed innocent. You could give your opinion about poker rooms. I'm kidding. <laughs> How did she know I asked about poker rooms? you did just a minute ago. Oh, I was okay, trying to so, keep that on the down low. <laughs> we have rounded up uh, some of the some of the students in your mentorship program, <laughs> and we've put them on display for you here. Um, we the, had to blur out some of their yeah. information. Don't just you worry about like the slides. Blurred out a lot yeah. of information. Yeah, sure, don't worry about our slideshow. It's having some technical difficulties. We'll we'll correct all that in the editing room. Um, one of our, in fact, our film guys. He's on here probably somewhere. Where is he? No, he made him. He make the list this time. So, um, these cats. So these are some bad dudes in Tarrant County. Does this list um, flow through your office, through your hands? Do you see this? Is this purely police um, generated? How do you, are you any any connected to this deal right here? No, most wanted. But obviously, all those people are of interest to you at some level. Uh, hopefully, you get to meet them someday. I'm assuming. See, they're only of interest to me when the police arrest them and file a case. So it's it's a whole lot like the TV show, Law and Order. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I've started doing this year is talk to people about the difference between policing and prosecution and judges, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of a mess. Um, but no, those are of great interest to law enforcement. And they're not of any interest to me until somebody files a case. Because I have enough to do. We review about 50,000 criminal cases in Tarrant County every year. Good grief. Every year. Um, and, and so, no, I don't care so about that on, until somebody arrests them and files a case. And then I care a whole lot then about when it. When does it lead up to you? Cause the, you're not reviewing all 50,000. So you've got a management team below you. What, what's, which ones rise up to your So office? the only cases that I personally review are the death penalty cases, because if in our office, if we're going to seek a death sentence, mm-hmm. then it's my decision. How nobody else ought to have how to many do that. of those 50,000 on average, four, two that I review, or that are death become death penalty. Oh, or death penalty. that's fifteen. No, I'm thinking like monthly. It's probably like seven a month, five seven to a seven month. a month. Okay, yeah. So, it, on average, eighty something, hundred something, maybe like a year, right? Of those fifty thousand, yeah. unless there's a problem not hear about those cases but mm-hmm. you know the ones that typically i look at are the and and we rarely seek a death sentence rarely are you would you be safe to say you're pro death penalty it's the law it's the law gosh she's she used that answer like yep. four times on she, anything we want to get kind of hey where's well, judge me, wilson well, it's the law let me say this when it's not the law then it then i'm, I'm fine not, with that too i'm just asking the question I'm yeah not but, I, but i actually you know so the part that's discretionary with a DA is these things, these crimes are potential death sentences. And case law has told us that the death penalty is only available in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so we should review those. There are a whole lot more um, facts that are eligible for a death penalty than we ever, because we make that choice, yeah. right? Um, and it it is... It is a lot rarer than you think because, you know, somebody could do something heinous and if they've never done a crime before, then then they're probably not going to be a risk in the future. Right. And that's one of the questions the jurors have to ask on death sentences. Mm -hmm. Is there a probability this person will be a dangerous society in the future? You know, what's really crazy about all this talk 
you talk about taking the human aspect out of a lot of this decision, right? You're not really, you can't really be biased. There's a lot of statistical information. This should happen like this, this kind of thing. You would think that there would be an algorithm ah. for something like this and not for other things, right? Like that are so emotionally driven, right? Because it seems like the courts and especially making these decisions are all driven by, okay, you know, numbers and very uh, quantitative data, if you will, and that that makes the best decision. Like the things you've said is like, the more human I take out of this, it's a, like and make these decisions the better. But then we have so many people representing this. It's just kind of, yeah. you so know. So I've obviously not done a good job if if what I've said today makes you think that I think we ought to take the human aspect. No, it's just. It, but, it, but no, but let me. So judges, judges are just supposed to follow the law, period. That's it. I'm a prosecutor. I get to care about people. I get to advocate for people. And in the law, it says that prosecutors are to seek justice, not to convict. It's interesting that judges are not supposed to seek justice. Judges follow the law. Prosecutors seek justice. Alone in the criminal justice system, they're the ones that are charged with making sure that justice occurs. There's a lot of humanity involved in that. Defense attorneys are required to zealously represent their client. That's their obligation mm -hmm. under their code of ethics, right? Um, their job is not to seek justice, right? Because yeah. that could be bad for their client. Yeah. You know? So, so a lot of what we do is very um, involved in the humanity. And when I talk about the death penalty, there's, there's laws. And then at some point we talk to the victim's families, you know, um, because some family members want this person to be executed and some don't believe in the death penalty at all. And some people want this person to be executed, but we can't get there under the law. You know, those are hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When I was in college, Sharon, I was, uh, I interned with the DA's office and I, I used to ride around, um, with a uh, criminal investigator named Ray Campbell. Do you Absolutely. remember Mr. Campbell? Fantastic human being. He is a fantastic um, human being. I remember asking him this question because I was a young kid with not much intelligence, trying to learn a little bit. And he, he asked him, um, Mr. Campbell, does the criminal justice system deter crime? The, 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 it's an age old question. Does punishment and crime in, uh, in a jail deter crime? He said, JW, without a doubt, there are good people in this world and there are bad people's world. No matter what I do or you do, there'll always be that case. Do you feel as if the criminal justice system uh, is a deterrent? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's kind of an open-ended question, but people don't seem to be afraid of going to jail when they're in the act of committing a crime. They just, it's just, it just happens, right? Is anything going to change that? Is there any way you to know, change that? So that's interesting, right? Because there are different goals of punishment that are actually in the penal code. So rehabilitation is supposed to be a goal of punishment. If we if we have a criminal justice system and somebody gets arrested, possession, marijuana, zero to two, let's rehabilitate that person. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that the prosecutors do, right? What is justice? Do we rehabilitate? Do we punish for punishment's sake? That's kind of what the death penalty is. Right. Do we do something that we hope will deter someone else? You know, is it going to deter someone like... So the typical when Ray was a was a investigator in our office, 70s, 80s, I don't know when you were riding with him, maybe 90s, 90s yep. he was um, one of our great investigators. But, you know, at that time, the typical capital murder case was going to a 7-Eleven, robbing the place and shooting the clerk. Right. That's robbery in the course of murder. That's an aggravated murder. That is capital murder eligible. And if the person had done it before done a robbery before, done something else before, then the jury might consider sentencing that person to death penalty. So does that person who's going out and doing that kind of crime, do they stop and think, gosh, I shouldn't do this because I, I don't think that that's true. Right. I agree with him. I don't think that a person in the heat of committing a crime, except maybe family violence, honestly, from the studies, um, can stop themselves. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's because the family violence offenders are more educated? No, I no. Because they're not. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. Okay. They're just more self-controlled. Well, you know what I mean? Like they would read up on the law what they could get away with or not. You know, that would lend itself yeah. to that. So, so I, you know, so just the regular heat of the moment crime, you know, I don't know that anybody can stop themselves and say, "Ooh, I shouldn't I shouldn't shoot this clerk because I might get a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Which is why I don't think the death sentence is a deterrent. I read that 
97%-ish of people do good and it's the 2 and 3% of people in the world that do all the bad that we spend all the money and, all, and people like you have to spend time and effort putting away. It seems like a very, it's not a small amount of people, but it's a small percentage of people. They're doing all these terrible things that, that require laws to be passed. It's just a, it's a problem that may not have a solution. I just, it's, one likes to think that there is a way to stop people from doing these things. Do you have any thoughts on the future of the criminal justice system? Is, are we heading in the right track if we're getting it to be bigger as a city, as you said earlier? We are. We are. And is that so here's the here's the question that I have. You know, is it the criminal justice system that changes people's behavior? And I would suggest not. Um, um, I honestly. OK, so when I was a judge, I had the felony alcohol intervention program. Right. So everybody that we took in, they were felony drunks. They might have seven or eight people, seven or eight prior DWI convictions. And instead of sending them in the pen, they went in my program which was worse than being in the pen because we were like, you know, calling them. I called them. I called everybody in my program at Christmas to make sure they weren't drinking. I called them on New Year's personally to make sure they weren't drinking because, you know, you can tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, does that does that make a difference? You know, we can force people to change their behavior for a little while. But one of the things that I thought was very important for them was AA. And why AA? Because it actually has foundational that there's something bigger than you that can change your behavior. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Wow. Well, we are a research crack uh, team of, I said that backwards, our crack team of researchers. Golly, we butchered that up. Our research team <laughs> has uncovered one of your tenants. We want to know if you could tell us a little about this gentleman who seems to be living in one of, one of your one of your establishments. Isn't that great? So, you know, I didn't even know who he was because he's actually not one of ours. He's one of the feds. The mm-hmm. feds have him. So okay. he's in Fort Worth, Texas, but he's at the Federal Correctional Institute. And one of the law firms downtown apparently is his lawyer, and they've got a big old sign on the side of their building that says, what is it, hashtag free Joe? Oh, yeah. Joe Exotic. Joe yeah. Exotic. So. Yeah. And maybe even advertising the school um, program at the football game. It's the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for I sure. I bet you're right. I bet you're yeah. right. Are you the same day in, day out, or do you have a side Please. of you that's a, is there a home side of Sharon and a work side of Sharon? Or well, is, gosh, you can hope so. I hope, we do hope so, yes. <laughs> you know, I like to cook. You watch Law and Order? You watch any of the TV shows? Any of the no. any movies? Any no. anything like that? Why Law and Order? I didn't even know <laughs> Joe Exotic until they stuck it on the side of the building. So yeah. No, I yeah. didn't. You know. Read. Bluey. We watch Bluey. Okay. <laughs> Is that a cartoon or something a, for kids? It's a kids' cartoon. Yeah. Any hobbies? Um West Texas. Not. Go out to West Texas ever? Visit okay. your roots? No. Because my family, you know. At some point in life, they're all gone. Yeah. So um, I have a very, very long-suffering husband. He's very wonderful. We've been married 25 years. And, um, you know, no, I mean, some days I leave the office and and I don't have another word to say for the rest of the day because something, you know, I mean, bad stuff happens. I spend my life with bad stuff. Yeah. Um, or Or weird, you know stuff going on mm-hmm. with elected officials. I mean, you know, and I, sometimes I just go home and sit there and John is like, so did you have a bad day? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. It's and, a, it's, and he's yeah. fine. He is fine. His, he's, his feelings aren't hurt. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, how I lucked into this man is shocking um, because, you know, he didn't make me feel bad because I'm not being a, mm-hmm. you know, he's, brought he's up great. Humanity before and you yep. actually defended humanity in your profession what can humanity bring to this world you know and and to make your job not have so many days like that where you see bad stuff i just went subsurface on you i just i went real <laughs> no, down. I, you know it's interesting because we were um talking about this with some people yesterday um, you know, the relationships matter and, and our community is so large that I think we've lost some of those relationships, you know, before, um, before I became the DA, when I was a judge, um, I was a cook at a homeless shelter here, regular, 
and um, UGM. Uh, uh, beautiful feet. Nice. Yep. And um, you know, it's a whole different group of people. Um, and I also took my um, people that were in my felony alcohol program because, and it was an amazing thing because they, you know, remember these were the seven, eight time DWIs and almost every time somebody met somebody they knew that hadn't gotten sober, that was living on the streets. But I think those connections are enormous. And, and it's really something that we've kind of internally started talking about is how do we, um, because you're never, so we have this thing called Speakers on the Road. We started when I got there. I want everybody going out in the community, talking, doing whatever they can, because how is anybody going to trust us if they don't know us? Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. never going to trust us if you don't know us. Yeah. So we spend, as a as an office, as much time as we possibly can trying to get out in the public and just make those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. It's good to know that people in your line of work, and we know some police officers and some people that do that that sort of thing, that they can turn off the bad and go live, be a be a happy person at home and have families and kids and stuff. Uh, that it's actually something we've often wondered about people in your line of work how they can separate the two because it's it certainly can't always be easy. But appreciate you trying to answer that that uh, that question. So, okay, here's the other side of that. Yep. When I got here, when I I came here for a job, right? Came to yeah. work at the DA's office. I can still tell you the first homicide scene I went to. I can describe it to you in detail. I can tell you the first dead body I saw. I can tell you the the first photos that I saw when I was a baby prosecutor and I was going to watch a grand jury presentation. I mean, mm. you know, some of that stuff. You can't undo. You, you've got it right. forever. You know, I mean, I've got stuff I saw on warrants for the police when I was a judge. I mean, there's, there's stuff. And so, you know, you have to, at some point, if you're going to keep doing this for your whole life, mm-hmm. be able to compartmentalize that. Surely. I'd be like, I would love to be, a fly on the wall when you say a prayer at night. Because I would imagine there's a lot, you just gave us two sides of a coin, Mm -hmm. you know, that's got to be, it's just, it would be very interesting. I don't, I don't know how you, you put some of this stuff to rest, you know, because there's a part you have to be really tough and strong for your job about, but there's another part, like you said, and defended that you have to be really compassionate about too. So the, 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 Crazy ones are the ones in the car on the way to work in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Are those out loud? <laughs> well, okay, it's I'll just be the me. fly on the windshield then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get good terms with Chief Noakes? Yes. You like him? I do like him. Good. Um, we do too. Ch- um, excuse me, Mayor Parker? Yes. She's doing a good job? As far as I can tell, good. I mean, I know what I read in the paper. So Beautiful. that's one of my 41 cities. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, we appreciate you being here, Sharon. It's been an honor to hear your story. Before we go, we always ask our guests uh, a a simple question. Marital and children aside, all familial affairs aside, what's the best day of your whole life? I probably haven't lived it yet. That's pretty good. We've not heard that one yet. We've never heard that. Is is that because it's happening right now? No, it's because, you know, I've had a great life. So what else is there to come? There's great stuff to come. Hope. Yep. I had some hope right we, there. We, we love it. That's a winning answer. Sharon Wilson, Tarrant County DA, thank, thank you very you. much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.